0: Everybody, all right. If you got your Bibles, go to Mark chapter seven. Mark seven. Mark chapter seven, and we're gonna start at verse one. Yeah, I think I got all my fussing out this morning, so I might can teach now. <coughs> <laughs> We might actually take some time to learn. But let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus God, once again, we thank you just for this time and opportunity to come together, God, and just to be around one another as we fellowship in your word and in your truth. Father God, I pray that you open up the eyes of our understanding. Help us to learn. Help us to be moved, provoked, propelled more towards you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. March 7th. in this, what everybody's been talking about, the, the cold word, unprecedented time that we going through. I've been paying attention to it a little bit. And it's amazing thing that's going down. And I don't think too many people caught on to it. And there's some deep theology being demonstrated every single day. And it teaches us the doctrine of the fear of God. That's something that we see displayed in a manner I've never seen before. But we don't realize it. I'm going to try to demonstrate it to you. Is that what we are seeing now, i just ask you this question. How many of you since about, I guess, mid-March, March 12th, 11th, whenever it was that the NBA said we ain't playing no more basketball, how many days have you gone through a full day without reading something, listening to something, or being in a conversation about the coronavirus. Just think about How many days have you gone? A full day since that mid-March when everything was like, it's real now. Ain't many of us made one whole day where we have not read something, watched a video, looked at something on the news, or had a conversation, even sometimes with very just straight strangers, about the coronavirus. And that shows you something. And if we can grasp this, this is something that could elevate our understanding of what it means to worship God. Because we're seeing a demonstration of the fear of God. It's been a couple of years now. I did this message on the fear of God. But one of the aspects of fear is fear creates consciousness. And this is what we're seeing displayed. When we're talking about fear of God, the fearing God, fear creates consciousness. And what we're seeing is An elevated consciousness of something that alters our lives. Some by force and some even just subconsciously. There there are things that we do because we fear this virus. Even us who say we ain't scared. Our lives begin to shift. Our conversations begin to change. What we watch on TV change just because of our consciousness of this virus. You got people that say it been long said. If you're under 40, you don't watch the news. That's just a, a rule of America now. If you're under 40, you don't watch the news. But there's a boatload of 17, 18, 19, 20s, and 30s that every day tuning into the news. Their lives are being altered because there's a fear. And fear creates consciousness and an increased consciousness automatically alters the way that we live even down to the point where like I said even in the social awkward times we have a consciousness now that we're willing in some degrees to offend people because of our beliefs about this thing somebody come up to you June. you don't quite know you ain't quite familiar with we don't hesitate to, to 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 put out the hand and stick out the elbow and all this different stuff, and we don't too tough worry about how they feel. Now, like I said, told them this morning, like Walmart, they had that little thing with the Purell thing with the wipes in there for ages. That dispenser has always been there, but now you going there, you grabbing a couple of them things. You're not conscious of, man, I don't need to get but one because other people want to use. No. You're going to get way more than what you need. You're wiping your buggy. You're taking your time and your life is being altered. And you don't even think about the fact that, hey, this person said let this buggy go. They might be offended if I wipe it off after I took it from them. That don't cost your mind. It' like, like some of the dudes they do this. They, know what I'm saying, they be they be cool, and so they they secretly have their little wipes and in their little hand they wipe their little thing off and walk around, <laughs> yeah, wipe it right all They ball it up in the hand and all. <laughs> Yeah, was yeah, cool, but this, it, it creates a consciousness that alters the way that we live our lives, and we're cutting people off. it's just reality this stuff that's going on like I talked to a coworker. she or her little kid had a birthday and she's like yeah we're going to do a party we're doing it in the backyard and I already called all my aunties and all them and told them the number family don't you call your cousin don't you call them they can't come over my house like why are you mean folk like that we ain't bringing that stuff in my house so she willing to offend pooking them. Like, don't you brain pooking. Mama, I told you to come. Other folks can't come. It's like, why are you that strong? It's, it's the kid birthday party. And you even goes forward to say, she don't like kids that deep. She went deep and say, I ain't told some of y'all can drop y'all kids off. Just make sure you back at five because I don't want all y'all over my house. That's rude. Like, bring your kid, but you're going on somewhere. You don't tell nobody that. But this fear demonstrates something because it creates a consciousness because that's what fear does. You're conscious of the thing that you fear and through that consciousness, your life is being altered. Even down to the point where those who quote unquote don't fear, their lives are being altered. And the thing that I've been thinking on and meditating on is, what if we, as the people of God, can get this consciousness towards God? If we can develop this level of fear and reverence towards God, our lives can be completely, radically transformed. If we can be this conscious of God, so it can be said of us that I don't know the last time I wore them four days without watching some, reading some, or talking to somebody about God. Like I said, we can do it for Rona. Because that shows you where our heart is. And we need to get this same level of fear about God. And what I'm going to attempt to demonstrate to you is that the fear of God is essential to the worship of God. You can't have one without the other. Let's look at the story in Mark 7. Tracking in Mark 7. So then came together unto the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled hands, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault for the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? I'm going to pause right there and make sure we understand what's going on. Now, if you back up into chapter six, this story comes off the back of an, an amazing Time in in the life of Christ. All manner of sick people were coming to Jesus in chapter six. And he was knocking all type of diseases, all leprosy, everything that they had and they brought unto him. He was curing them all. And to get even deeper, he was touching the folks. Jesus out there laying hands on all kind of sicknesses. And he's healing them, knocking them down. He's he taking care of them. This is the, the scene that this story takes place on. So just imagine that, that we out. We at the amphitheater. And all the sick people of this city is showing up to Jesus. You got every disease, every infection that you can think of. You know what I'm saying? We're going all the way back to swine flu. They're showing up down there with Jesus. And Jesus knocking them down. He laying hand on all of them and he just healing them over and over. He healing them through the masses. And we coming off this time where Jesus was doing some stuff you ain't supposed to do. And what was that stuff you ain't supposed to do? He was touching sick people. In the law of Moses, that's a no-no. Somebody come to you. With some in their body, in their flesh, some defilement, you stay away from them. But Jesus was healing them and not just healing them, he laying hands. He just then flipped the whole scene up. And just imagine you seeing this. And you 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 see Jesus touching all these people and he amazing, like this dude, he ain't getting sick, and everybody else getting healed. would the first thing in your mind be that, hey man, that dude just ate and he ain't wash his hands. Like, how I many people think that? Like, you coming off that type of miracle and you at that scene down there uh, and you seeing all these folk here, and you probably be like, hey, that dude he just didn't wash. <laughs> That's what this the scene you got. So these are the leaders and they come to Jesus after this massive healing. now to put it all in context they could not say anything bad to Jesus because could you imagine being the person that said hey man don't you know Moses said we ain't supposed to touch them when he'd healed everybody could you come to Jesus and say hey hey you know you're wrong Moses said you ain't supposed to touch them people you can't make that conversation so now you're at a point where the dude who you despise is doing something that you cannot despise. And you can't call him wrong. But you can't say that he's great either to so what you do. You turn to his little people. You're like, hey, man, the dude who rolling with you, we saw them eat and they didn't wash their hands. This just show you the the, the level of, of blindness that they were in. Like, dude, man, you talking about practice? <laughs> dude, you're like, man, what 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 your mind at? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. The dude want to chill. You like, man, you ain't gonna practice. <laughs> that's basically what they did like your disciples and that's because Mark gave us the commentary He they said they did it to find fault they couldn't say nothing he did wrong If you go out there attacking Jesus when he just healed everybody like that crippled dude can walk now he don't need that cane no more he might turn up like hey you better get up off Jesus so we leave him alone like oh your disciples but let's put it all the way into context in their mind, to be defiled is to be separated and to cut off from the community and to be cut off from the religious worship of God. And so what they have is this tradition that was set up because what they're quoting is not from Moses. Moses starting in Leviticus 11, 12. He got this long list of rules that most of them consist of washings. It talks about what to do when you, when you wipe period on and what type of washing you got to have after you have a baby. Uh If you come in contact with blood, if you come in contact with a dead body. And it really gets deep in chapter 15. It goes to the degree of. If you touch something that was touched by somebody that was defiled. You are defiled. And you need to wash and all these cleansings you have to go through. If you get a pot. From somebody that was touched by somebody that was defiled. You got to wash the pot, cleanse and cleanse yourself. And, And so they had all these rules that dealt with defilement and to keep yourself from being defiled. And so what the rabbis did was they set up this tradition. They got this guard. So to make sure we don't violate the law of Moses, we make rules that keep us from it. Some people say like they put a fence around the Torah. What they mean by that is we got some traditions that make sure. So the way that I'm, I don't know if you're a defiled person and you just sold me this pot. So I don't know if this pot is defiled. So the way to make sure I'm not violating Moses is every time I get a pot, I'm going to do what? I'm going to wash it. And after I wash the pot, I'm going to wash my hands. And this is a tradition that they develop. So anytime they go out in the marketplace, they wash. When they receive something from the marketplace, they wash it. Then they wash their hands. Anytime they come in contact with anybody, they washed, And they had these to make sure this was their way of making sure we didn't violate the tradition of Moses. So when they come to Jesus and making this statement about him, about his disciples, what they're saying is, it is possible that your disciples are defiled. Because they don't keep the tradition of the elders. And our traditions are here to make sure that we are in line with God. So this is the accusation that they're making. Because you don't know, and like I said, some of us we there now. Not told in the morning. I guarantee you at least one person in here that had been to the store. And they came back from the store. and set all their groceries on the ground, and the light saw the whole bag of groceries. <laughs> Took them out, then washed the hand, then fussed at the tiller. Now you go in there and you wash your hand. We mastered the art of hand washing. Some of my people, no, no, see, so, you no, know, you can't just wash them like that. So, no, you have to be at least 20 seconds under underwater. water, and you have to begin at your wrist and you wash down. Make sure that you get in between your fingers and make sure that you get your cubicles. and if you check under your nails and you, like people have studied this, well, I'm like, man, I've been going to health class in elementary. Ain't nobody ever went through all these rules with me. And you got regular everyday people. I'm talking about car mechanics. Who you used to them, their hand, their finger permanently black. <laughs> but they teach you how to wash your hands. Like, dude, man, I was pulled up to a car and left you. I saw you digging with that book. What you did with? It? <laughs> but now you are a master and a pro of washing your hands. And the reason is, we'll get back to that. I keep bringing it up. Fear. Fear creates a consciousness. And you have people who are learning about something, adamantly about it, off of consciousness. So because of this fear, they learning how to wash their hands. And, and, and people kicking out, they, they they smell good soap. Like, nah, man, we need dial with the gold kind. <laughs> Because it killed 99.9% of all bacteria. See, man, you got that fruited soap in your house. don't you, that stuff, that stuff just for fragrance and to make you smell good. You know am saying people are having these conversations. And the amazing thing is people are learning. You have people who, like myself, fail signs up to my straight flunk. But they can explain to you the depths of the viability of bacteria inside a saliva and how it can project from your mouth even without you being aware of it. And all you have to do is open your mouth. You don't even have to speak. And you can get small particles of saliva to eject from. You no, know, my people are explaining this stuff. I'm like, dude, you flunked science. But now you understand the viability of bacteria and viruses inside saliva. People that can tell you how long a virus can live on the surface of a cardboard. Like man, you get that package for Amazon, you have to let it sit on your porch for two days. after two days, see the virus, all the viruses will be dead by then. And then you can bring it in and you pull out the contents. See that stuff, is see, it should be good by now because it's been in the box. And, and virus only lasts on plastic surfaces for this long, but it can last on, if it got chlorophyll on it, you know what I'm saying? And they can tell you all these amazing things. And I let you know, these brothers have been learning. Why are they learning? They scared. (laughs) And everybody around them learning. The people who ain't even thinking about coronavirus. They learning. And now they can explain to you the proportion of saliva with, with viruses still in it up to six feet. I never heard of such. Never heard of it. But now I know that. I ain't do no research. I ain't watch no video about it. But everybody been talking about it and everybody been learning and they been willing to do what? Well. They gonna share they learning. Why are they gonna do it? Cause they scared. And it, and it, and it, and it created this whole new way of living. Fear. And this is what Propel the Pharisees. Fear, but a slight difference. They had a fear that they didn't want to be cut off from the community or cut off from the worship of God. So they created this whole idea of these traditions to keep them in alignment. And they were willing to learn and pass on those traditions because they had what? Fear. Now, just take a minute to pause right here. What would happen if we had the same level of fear about God? If we took the time to learn the way people are taking time to learn now. Because like I said, man, the Bible is everywhere now. It is everywhere. They got channels on your TV that you can put it on. And it just have Bible scriptures show up up there. Just pop up. You got it on your phone. You can listen to it. It's everywhere. There's no person who cannot get hold to some form of the scripture. And it's been said with our New Testament. That if we go back in time and just pull together all the quotes of it. We can put together the whole entire New Testament just taking quotes from other books because the Bible is everywhere but you know what's not everywhere knowledge of it we have more access to scripture now than we have in any other time in history but we're the most ignorant generation when it comes to the Bible I'm about just plain old ignorant and to the point where you have people who be in church for extended periods of time and they can't Get separate between a song that they heard and a scripture in the Bible. You got folk telling you, man, cause you know the word said, we fall down, but we get up. Like, hold up, where you get that from? Is it now somewhere? Cause, cause, Don McClarkin told you that. <laughs> and that's a song, very encouraged. But that ain't the scripture. But that's where we get our understanding from. And and why can't we. Be propelled. To learn at the rate that we learning about. This coronavirus. Like why y'all don't have a 17 year old. Coming up to y'all. And be like. Man. You think. If. uh, I get too close to a girl. That. I might be a violation of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. <laughs> because Paul said it's not good for a man to touch a woman. Now how often have you had that conversation? You don't get that one too much. But they're going to tell you, is it okay? I'll question you about what is okay for them to touch when they go to the grocery store. Because they're learning. they fear. Fear creates a consciousness. And we need to develop this same fear about God. But let me get to my main point now. Y'all let me get sidetracked. Verse 16. I mean verse 6. Jesus' response to these people. He said, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men for laying aside the commandments of God. You hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things you do. So this is Jesus response to these people. It's a pretty dope response. They questioning his disciples about the validity of their worship. He don't get into a theological debate with them. He immediately called them out and Jesus one night. Like he should have went to a seminary because they would have taught him you't do supposed to talk to your church member like that. They quoted him and he like you hypocrites, like that's not a greeting <laughs> what are they learned at that like you hypocrites, He went straight to the heart of the matter, like what up? what y'all talking about? They wanted a theological debate. They was trying to debate traditions and, and scriptures and they going to get back to Moses and get him to a point where he can deny all the stuff that he can do and they can put it on display that this ain't the man of God. Because he don't condone the traditions of the elders. And he ain't even go there with them. He's like, y'all some hypocrites. Why did he call them hypocrites? Because he said, Isaiah told me about y'all. And look what Isaiah said. He said, you honor me with your lips but your heart is far from me. How be it in vain they do worship me. Paul's pause right there. They honor me with their lips, but your heart is far from me. How be it in vain they do worship me. Now, when we put this full thing into context, they were talking about the proper worship of God because to be defiled means to be to cut off from the community and cut off from the worship of God. So they was discussing religious activities and the validity of their worship. And Jesus questioned their whole system of worship. And what he demonstrated to them was, is that it is possible for you to be engaged in religious activity and not be involved in the worship of God. And that's a deep something for us to meditate, especially in this time, in these unprecedented times. Because we have a a nation of people who are questioning what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be the church? Folks are trying to figure it out because our system of worship has been interrupted, and you got churches that are getting into spats. Should we meet? Shouldn't we meet? Should we be online? Should we cancel all together? Like, and, and this is, these are deep discussions that are being held. It's because we have traditions that we have assimilated into the worship of God that defines our worship of God. And now that those traditions have been taken away from us, we don't know what to do. And that's why I, like I say, I tell people, that's why people have a hard time with Apostle Jay. I'm going to blame it all on him. I'm just, yeah, his fault. That's why people have a hard time with him. Because when you come here, it is not traditional church. And the elements that you connect with traditional church are absent. So people can come and be fed, but they don't feel full. Because they feel something missing inside. And when you question what it is, all you can say, man, it just don't feel like church. And that's because we have traditions that we have connected with real church and real worship and when those things are absent we lose our way we don't know what to do and now we in these unprecedented times and people don't know what to do because what counts as worship what counts as the believers getting together what counts as us truly fellowshipping with one another we got all these things in debates and like what does it really look like because we They have been cut off from tradition. But Jesus' words say, in vain they do worship me. Because their lips, they honor me, but their hearts are far from me. And that concept of in vain, as I said, is a very funny word. If you look up the Greek behind it, this word only shows up twice. And you got one derivative that shows up. But the exact word only shows up twice. And the only other time we see this word in the New Testament is in the parallel story of of Matthew 15. Nobody else uses this word because we think of vain as in the sense of empty, ah, something that, that puffs up pride. But that's not the exact word that he uses. This word has something more to do with activity. It, it, it shows movement, but no purpose. So when you're talking about in vain they do worship me, it's like trying to get on a, a, a exercise bike to drive to the store. You got all the activity of movement, but you ain't going nowhere. And that's what he say when they say in vain they do worship me. That means when you watch them, when you look at them, everything look like they're doing what they're supposed to do. They have activity. There's motion going on. There's movement going on. But it's meaningless. There's no truth behind it. There's no reality behind it. It's just activity. And it dives at the heart of worship. And this is something that we need to take and take time to reflect on it ourselves when we do and participate in our quote-unquote religious activities. How much heart is in it? And how much reality is behind it? And how much of this stuff that we do, just call that what we do? And most of our worship, and me give you this picture, it's, it's, it's like, I mean, just, just imagine with me. We're in a room full of people and music is going and all of us dancing. And, and in this story, all of us can dance on beat. I know some of y'all might not have rhythm. Yeah, but you know, Summer, okay. In this story, Summer has rhythm. And she can get on beat. Everybody's dancing on beat. Everybody's dancing on rhythm. And let's say a deaf man comes in the room. Do you think he can get on beat? Why? He can see what everybody else is doing. And he can fall in line and on the external it looks as if he is enjoying the music. Because he can get on the same beat as everybody else. And so when somebody else comes into the room and they watch the room, like them people are getting down. I'm talking about they really enjoying that. That's their jam. And the deaf man can say the same thing. This is my jam. I get down off this. Because nobody can tell you he ain't really enjoying the music. He don't hear it. Until so what happens? It stops. The deaf man's still gonna be dancing. <laughs> it's because he picked up the atmosphere of the room but he was not being carried along by the tomb. And there was some reality behind what we were doing that he could not grasp hold to. But on the surface, he has the activity. So he's dancing in vain. Because he cannot enjoy the music. He can't hear it. And this is the picture that Jesus has in mind when he talks about these people worshiping. Y'all got all the activities that look like you in step with God. But you're not. Go to Isaiah 29. Don't lose Mark chapter 7, but go to Isaiah 29. And we're going to look where Jesus pulled this from. Isaiah 29. We're going to start at verse 9. Let's start it let start at verse 8, 29, 8. I keep pushing it back. Probably by night we'll be starting at verse 1. Say, <laughs> said, it shall even be as when a hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. He eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty, or as when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Stay yourselves in wonder. Cry you out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers hath he covered. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men delivered to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, read this, I pray thee. And he said, I am not learned. Now, let's pause. We're going to pause right here. Now, what's going on in here? Now, the reason we, we re- read back of this, because we made it to the quote of Jesus yet. is something, like I said, when we walk through the Bible, and some of them will try to pull out and try to demonstrate uh, uh help you understand that the chapters and verses that we got, God didn't make them. Some other dude made them and they don't come from God. They're not inspired. They're something that we use to help us reference. So a lot of times when you read in the New Testament, when they quote the Old Testament, they will quote a piece. But if you pay attention to the context of both chapters, you see the full meaning being pulled forward. And that's what goes on in Jesus statement. So they'll quote a piece to allude to the fuller meaning and apply it to their own day and their own time. Now, y'all, you're tracking with what I'm saying. I use the same example I used this morning. Is, if I, if you ask me, how's your morning going? I'd be like, man, it was a rough morning, but the best part of waking up. Do anybody understand what I'm saying? You get what I mean? That's, that, that, that's, that's, <laughs> Yeah, that, that's all you think of. That's an illusion. So you understand that I had needed some coffee to get me going today. Even though I didn't mention coffee. Because the only thing that can be connected in your mind with the best part of waking up is Folgers. But I don't have to say the whole thing. Just making that statement. If you understand and you remember that context, it pulls the full meaning for it. And that's what happened when Jesus makes this quote. He pulls the full meaning forward when he pulls out this quote because the quote is connected to a context and you, in order to truly understand it, you have to understand the full context around it. It's like when Jesus was on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Now, a lot of people get deep, you know what I'm saying, on Easter. If, 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 if the coronavirus will, People gonna have their programs, and <laughs> you don't want to call. It. <laughs> people gonna have their programs, and people gonna be doing their little things. And you got the seven sands of the cross, and you got some preachers that gonna get deep with that one little level of verse, and they going to tell you, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And they're gonna explain to you how this was the point of the agony of the cross, and where Jesus was forsaken, and he felt the full weight of the sin of the people. And and, and he was alone and he was desperate. This was his crying time. Well, God was alone. And that sounds good. That very motivation and that very deep. But if you actually pay attention to what Christ is doing, he's pulling forward a meaning that gives meaning to the whole picture. So when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you're familiar with the text, like I said, it was a song to them, just like the best part is waking up. If you know the song, you think about everything. And what he's telling to you is, I am the fulfillment of David. That what you stand to see today is being, re- what you read about in David is being reality in your day. Because what was going on? People was parting his garments. He was being pierced. And all of that is contained in Psalms 22. So by making that statement, he's pulling the full meaning of Psalms 22 into that one context. But all he quote is one piece. Now, you you you're capturing what I'm saying. And this is the way the Bible works a lot of times. A lot of times they make allusions to something to capture the full meaning of it. And what Jesus did in this statement, he brought out the meaning. When he quoted Isaiah, he's pulling forth the full meaning of Isaiah. And now if we walk with the context of Isaiah, it is a time of judgment. And Isaiah is giving this depiction of a people. You say, man, it' going to be just like, You dreaming about eating and you think you full, but you wake up hungry. Like that's bad. Like you gonna be dreaming you real thirsty and you gonna drink some water and get satisfied, but you gonna wake up even more famished. It's just a picture. Then he gave him the thing. Stay you upon your bed. Like calm yourself down. Pay attention. Slow down. Cry you out. Because the Lord has caused a deep sleep to come over you. So he gives a picture of that. This is a people who's under the judgment of God. God hands a judgment is against them. And the picture he gives of this judgment is a deep sleep. And he defines this deep sleep. It's like the dreams and the visions of your prophets. They're going to be worthless. And is there going to be like if we take them dreams and them visions. And we write them down and we give it to you in a book, but we put a lock on it. It's like, it got this, this roll, but it's sealed. So I take my, my sealed Bible and I give it to somebody and I say, read this. They say, we can't read it. It's locked up. It's like, that's what these conditions of this judgment is going to be like. You're going to be cut off from sin. It's like I take it from him and unlock it, but I give it to somebody that can't read. I like read this and understand. Like, I don't know how to read. Like, this is the condition of the judgment that they were under. And this is the meaning that he pulled forward. So what you see is these people was in an ability that they could not appreciate what God was doing in their midst because their eyes were closed to it. They couldn't see God. They couldn't understand the reality of what was prophesied, the reality of what was taught. All they saw was their traditions. And because of their traditions, God judged them and closed their eyes to the truth. And it's burned deep in me that this is a state of the church that we're in right now. That we have a a, a boatload of ministers and preachers. Preaching is everywhere. But illiteracy and ignorancy of the word of God is rampant. People are looking at the book, but they can't get any understanding out of it. It don't make sense. They see, but they don't see. It's because we're in a deep sleep. And when a man of God stand before us and he say he got a revelation, what he give us? What's that revelation? This is your time. This is your season. This is your breakthrough. This is the manifestation of the fruition of all the words that God had told you. And that's all we get. And people see everything but God being manifested. It's because the book's been closed. And God is judging these people. And the thing that he say that closed the book to them is tradition. It's tradition. Because you have a way of participating in God that has blinded your eyes from the reality of God. So now all you see is your tradition. And that's why we can't look back and understand how in the world can you see a multitude of people healed and not even come to your mind to think that, hey, maybe did what God was talking about. Because there's tradition. And now we're in this place where we got a multitude of people who line up, who come to church, who worship. And we don't see lives change. And nobody ever thinks to say, hey, this ain't what God was talking about. Because they can go, they can learn, they can be encouraged, they can be lifted up, but they can't be changed. Because they're still gonna live and they're seeing them. You gotta understand. I'm saying that, but you 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 just need to understand. These young people they gotta take their time and get their life right. And that's foolishness. And it's even to. To the point where parents don't even weep anymore. How often have you met a parent that weeps over worldliness in their children? That's not a common thing. That that, that weeps and that cries and that say, God, grab a hold of my child. It's like, what's your child doing? I see worldliness in them. The Bible told us that to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. And we can see worldliness in our own seed and not wheat Because we don't see it. We're closed to it. We're blind to it. And it shuts off our heart of a compassion so we don't put the heart behind our worship. We need to elevate our devotion, and we need to allow God to take this time to do the real work of God in our hearts, so that we connect our hearts with our worship. And it's not just tradition. I won't pray for my kids. It's call that. What you're supposed to do, and I want them to be safe, and I hope they make it. That I need to have a heart and a passion behind it when I pray, because they say the fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. And there should be a tenderness in me when I see weakness when i see frailty when i see worldliness in my children it should break me because i see but we in a world that does not see we're under the judgment of god that we can have activity we can have motion we can have movement but not have heart and let this not be said of us and then we get to the, the quote